to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who's grateful for the work of two local activists that are working their tails off to try to create a better world for all and a world that's aligned with the rights of nature. Um, in studio with us is Marita Bujo, um, and on phone is uh, Roxanne O'Brien. So uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, so Roxanne, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I kind of grew up in the organizing world. My mother was a teacher, and she was very active um, in her community. And so uh, Minnesota to me is, uh, we're actually, I'm from California, but Minnesota to me is home, um, home of like the organizing network world. And so um, pretty much I'm a mom with three kids. I live on the north side. Um we first moved here from California to the north side, and um, part of my work has been just paying attention and watching my family members around fight for justice in different ways. Um, when I was five, um, you know, I, I walked with my mom on the U of M campus uh, against rape that was happening to uh, U of M students, and um, so I've just been involved for a while in different issues that impact my community. Um, I work on police accountability um, issues. Um, I started out on the north side joining neighborhood organizations, building relationships, doing one-to-ones with different um, community stakeholders as well as public officials, um, and just really started building relationships based on issues that were happening in my community, whether I was impacted by it directly or not. I was um, I was joining forces with a lot of people. So with that um, comes, you know, I think I heard somebody say, uh, um, what is the what is the, the good work? Something good deeds. When you do good work, the reward is more work. Boy, when you do good and, work, the reward is more good, more work. I really hear that. But and I know you're very active in environmental issues, and I want to connect these environmental issues with your three children. So, what's your right. aspiration for your three kids? Well, my aspirations for my children is that they grow up in a society that is healthy for them to grow up in. I think that's my main part is, is a lot of people say, um, you know, that children find kind of how they were raised in the home. But I would argue that the home is the neighborhood. It doesn't just start in the home. I think families that are oppressed and are constantly stressed, distressed um, by so many different burdens in a community it it doesn't leave much room for people to be able to prosper or to be able to benefit. Um, we live in a system that wasn't really designed for people to um, prosper. It was designed for for a few people up at the top to to prosper, and therefore we've we've lost a lot of our um, our natural human being ways out here. Absolutely. Absolutely love what you just said, Roxanne. And I want to now bring in Marita because she just, uh, Roxanne used that magic word, design. You know, how is this world designed? And that's what your work has been about. How do we consciously design something that's kinder and gentler and more rational? Well, and and Roxanne and I got to know each other a few years ago because we did connect on this idea that our communities need to be designed in such a way that everybody can participate and benefit from the economy. And what Roxanne has pointed out is that that's not the case for people on the north side, but I would argue that the underlying issue is that overall the design of our economy um, does not allow for that. And so um, the key thing that we are working on right now together is and a bill that Representative Fu Lee of North Minneapolis agreed to sponsor, and it's called the uh, Headwaters Community Food and Water Bill. And what it does is it actually creates a food and water economic resiliency program that would establish a regenerative food web economy across the state so that we can achieve that kind of resiliency 
that every community needs to have. So the very foundation that uh, Roxanne is talking about. So um, in addition, I should just mention that uh, recently Coley Herr, uh, Representative Coley Herr, has also agreed to co-sponsor. So we're making headway. Yay, this is a good thing. So, Roxanne, you just describe what this bill means to you. How would you describe this bill? Uh, Roxanne, are you still with us? I'm sorry. I know you're traveling. Yeah, how would you describe describe? the Headwater Community Food and Water Bill? Well, I would describe it as um, futuristic and bold because from the conversations that me and Marisa have been having with people, it seems as though people understand um, why we need this bill, but almost like there's not much will to take on something so big. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes this bill big is it's about kind of reversing the the exploitation piece. It's, it's reversing the harm that's been done to communities and um, and really acknowledging how indigenous people, they, they have the answer for how this land needs to be taken care of. And we should be following their direction. And I really love that Marita is listing um, the ancestral voices of indigenous people. And, um, you know, it's, it's helpful for her even as she's a white woman who is using, I think, her privilege to... Um, reach out to folks and reiterate the importance of uh, communities need to have our own ownership over our own food. And I think the way that we are controlled and are left to constantly be on the defense is because um, is one of the biggest reasons is because um, in the industrial food industrial complex has control over um, the population's food. And what I love about the bill is it breaks down, first of all, it, it educated me to understand um, the dynamics that I, I wasn't aware of that um, the food industrial chain um, only provides 20% of the population's food, but they use over 80% of the world's resources. <laughs> and then and, and this bill would help us go back to our roots on how we should take care of our resources. And so it also explains how, um, you know, indigenous people in small farming, that feeds 80% of the population, but only uses 20% of the, re- the world's resources. And, and I never really knew that the industry was receiving things called subsidies, which is public money, our money, um, to, to, to make sure that they, you know, make the most benefit and profit for, well, this for is their, what, their companies. And yeah. that's... Food Freedom Radio has talked about this. I know you're driving, so it's kind of hard with the the phone, but Food Freedom Radio has talked about this for so long. And we know that eating fruits and vegetables would, if more people ate fruits and vegetables, we would reduce our health care bill. But we subsidize corn syrup, and it doesn't make any sense. So we need to sort of, um, we have to find ways of of, of leading uh, this. this, Well, uh, it does make sense because there are people who, um, it makes sense for those who are profiting off of sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, the education system is not teaching. The justice system has no justice. Um, the food industry is not providing real um, organic foods, like things that would make us healthy. And the healthcare industry is banking on this. Um, I think they, <laughs> I just think that this is going according to their plan. It makes a lot of sense to them. It just doesn't make sense to the people who... Um, you know, who don't really know the dynamics of the system. And I think that's how we get into a trap is because there's so many different groups and committees and, um, you know, people that work in silos with the gov- and, and within the government. And it's like, who do you blame? Who do you, who do you target? You know, you don't know because these people are strategic and we have to be, you know, we have to be 20 steps ahead of them like they are of us right now. So we're working on that. So, so essentially, the bill acknowledges, as as Roxanne's talking about, the fact that the industrial food chain the, writes the farm bill, 
they write it for themselves. They write the trade agreements that support all of the the components of that food chain. So that begins with what happens in the field, all the sourcing, and all the way down to what happens at our table. So this this Headwaters um, Community Food and Water Bill is really about making sure that public investments are now directed to creating a regenerative food web from source to table to reverse our dependence on this industrial food chain. And so that the state itself, and you could use this model anywhere, and the web model could be transferred to any state or region, but the, the purpose of it is to really make sure that we are moving from being dependent on this system and putting our public investments where they need to go, so aligning them in the right position so that every community can actually be part of this web and benefit from it. And as long as we are dependent on this industrial food chain, we're very vulnerable. We really can't continue to... Um, invest in it the way we are and it's advancing across the world not not only are we vulnerable but so is the water the water which Mm -hmm. has been filled with nitrates so is the soil which is actually being deadened right now so is the climate so when we return we're going to be talking about rights of nature you're listening to food freedom radio on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota we're talking about the headwaters community food and water bill and in studio with us is marita bujo and um on phone with us um, is Roxanne O'Brien. So come and turn me loose. Most of us try to be careful about how we eat and the safety of our food. At Total Dog Company, we believe in giving our dogs nutritious, safe food, too. We offer a variety of kibble, canned, and frozen and dehydrated raw foods. We study ingredient lists of every food we sell. We don't sell products that are primarily vegetable protein or that contain generic proteins, byproducts, fillers, or artificial preservatives. Find us in New Hope off of 169 at 9432 36th Avenue North and at TotalDogCompany.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch New Beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can go solar with All Energy Solar, even way up north in Minnesota. Lots of people ask them, isn't Minnesota too cloudy for solar? No. The truth? For one thing, Minneapolis gets nearly as much sun each year as Houston, Texas. But it isn't just about how much sun you get. It's also about having access to great local incentive programs that make solar affordable. Learn what your options are to save with solar and visit allenergysolar.com today. We are given the gift of intuition on how to care for ourselves and our families. But too often we forsake that knowledge for the voice of authority. Green Tea Conversations is a radio show for people like you who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and who want to play a more active role in their family's well-being. I'm your host, Candy Broffle, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I'm excited to bring Green Tea Conversations into your home. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts straight from the pages of Natural Awakenings who will share progressive ideas in the latest natural approaches in nutrition, fitness, creative expression, personal growth, and sustainable living in a fun and informative way. Podcasts of the show are available anytime at naturaltwincities.com, am950radio.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversations on Sundays at 10 a.m. as we awaken to natural health.
So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. And when we find ourselves in times of trouble, and we are in times of trouble, incredible inequities, so much climate crisis, psychological crisis, how do we build a better system? And in studio right now is uh, Marita Bujo, and she's presenting a Headwaters Community Food and Water Bill. So what is this Community Food and Water Bill? Well, primarily what it does is it creates an economic resiliency program that would be implemented across all of our communities in the headwaters. That is Minnesota. So we're, we're Minnesota is the headwaters for three major watersheds. And I like to think that this gives us an opportunity and really a responsibility to be leaders in how we take care of our water. And if we're going to take care of our water, we're also going to have to look at how our food economy is organized. And so the purpose of the bill is to create an economic resiliency program that creates a regenerative food web economy across the state and links all of our communities to that. It it really moves food back to the center of our communities so that that economy is the measure for our success. What an ambitious program, idea. It is ambitious, but I think that we need to keep in mind that um, right now we are not prepared to deal with climate in any way, shape, or form. The industrial food chain economy is a major source of greenhouse gases. The way it is designed and its practices are unsustainable. And if we as communities are going to be able to provide food for ourselves now and for the future, we have to have a plan. There is no plan to move us from our dependence on the industrial food chain to a system that would actually allow us to live well together and be resilient as communities. And the thing is, we know what will work because... For thousands of years, indigenous communities actually did and still do create uh, food economies where it's the core and key economy for the place that they live and for those communities. And it depends on regenerative practices. It depends on caring for nature. And they have developed research over all of those years that remains the um, basis for our food security today. It's also all the foods that have been generated, the seeds, the practices. We can build on that knowledge and have locally adapted food systems where we actually create real capacity in our communities. It's a huge challenge, but, but at least we already know that these systems can work. It's a case of can we build a public will to invest our public dollars and create the policies that would allow a regenerative food web economy to be established in the region so that every community would be part of it and would participate and benefit from it. And I'm talking about from source to table, not just how we grow things, but bringing that food into the places where it needs to be in a timely fashion. So... For instance, you and I talked about how I'd had a conversation with uh, Reese Williams from the, the Good Acre. And he said, you know, it's really important for when our food sources are at the height of a season, we have all this excess, getting that excess to the places where it can be served, preserved, cooked, um, into a place where it's stored properly that's all about having a system that's really effective and really managed well. And that's what we need. That's that what is this what is we about. need. I, I mean, I know a, a friend of mine, we were at the farmer's market, and it's like, look at that, that farmer has to bring back all that produce that hasn't been sold. There's a lot of waste. And so how do we as a community um, coordinate in a conscious way um, that, 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 that can support the life we want for our children and for Roxanne's children, for all of our children. But I want to back up just for a second and say, what will happen if we continue to let 
the system kind of run on the train that it's running if we don't intervene. And so, for instance, right now uh, we're dependent on Florida, um, dependent on California for most of our vegetables <laughs> and our fruit. You know, it's it's amazing how much of our fruit and vegetables come from California, which obviously is is really impacted by climate change. So, how can we build these resilient communities right here and right now? And that's the vision that you're working towards. It is, and actually, um, you know, a regenerative food web economy, that kind of design could be implemented in any area so that so that we reduce our dependence on food having to be transported here. Our capacity for growing food has not been um, determined. Right, we and haven't, yeah. We really haven't figured that out. It isn't, it isn't how we've done things in our states. And and you're right about the food waste, too. Food waste is one of the key greenhouse gas emissions that we have. And so this, this bill and the economic resiliency program that it creates addresses waste as well. Um, because, like anything else, if we organize something really effectively, a really good system... We can manage those things. We can set guidelines for how we want and and really goals for how we want things to be achieved. So waste just happens to be one of the huge things that we need to address. And people should know that a third of the million, eight million tons of plastic that is leaked into the oceans each year is generated by the food chain. Yeah, the food chain. Okay, so if people want more information, I want to say a couple times, because you're asking asking people now to sign up for yours, and where do people go to get more information about this and to support this effort towards, a, will say the word, consciously designing our local web food systems? So the, the bill and the economic resiliency program are described on the justfoodandwater.org website. And this is a project, an initiative in... Um, partnership with the Environmental Justice Coordinating Council on the north side. Roxanne's a member of it. Um, and we're we're really initiatives. We're not nonprofits, but we are taking a lead on this because um, we think that it's really important. And because actually how we design things is really key to our success. We're we designed this so that we could be successful in managing the demands of food, water, and climate, and really divesting from an industrial food chain that is taking us in the wrong direction, making us extremely vulnerable. So there's, you asked, you know, where would we go if we didn't manage to plan, if we don't actually take this on? And the truth is that because we're dependent on an extractive economy, and that's the food chain is, um, water sources are being extracted at a rate that cannot be replenished by rainfall. The Ogallala Aquifer, they determine, will be gone in 30 years because of extractive practices. That's eight states' economies, and that's the food that's being generated there goes is shipped off to all sorts of places, including Minnesota. We really need to look seriously at the direction that we're going with our dependence on this economy. And we also have to believe in our own power to make a difference and our power to make a change, which is what both you and Roxanne have been working on. So you've been listening to, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and we're talking about the Headwaters Community and Food and Water Bill. This is Chad, owner of AM950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project between now and the end of February. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. 
Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. I'm Connie Bure, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. Join us next Saturday as we tackle the subject of perception. Is it based in illusion or reality? What does perspective have to do with it, and how can we illuminate misunderstandings that stem from our perceptions? Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com. From classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Hawes. Saturday, chance of snow, high near 33. Sunday, high near 21. And Monday, partly sunny with a high near 6. Moe's Tax Service has been working for you, not the IRS, since 1971. Located in Highland Park in St. Paul. Schedule an appointment today by calling 612-721-2026 or visit Moe'sTax.com. That's Moe's Tax Service, M-O-H-S-T-A-X.com. Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headline, and we're having a conversation today about the Headwaters Community and Food and Water Bill. And one of the things um, your your material says um, in the studio with us is Marita Bougeau. Um, the Headwater Community Food and Water Bill makes the pathway to success visible. Right. I love that, by the way, because that's what I think we really need is we need to find ways to make solutions visible. Right, and that, and that always comes back to our design, our economic design. And I know I mentioned this earlier, but I don't think we can overstate the importance of having the design that's going to help us be successful. And that's why it's important to look at, you know, where are we now? What is preventing us from being successful? And I think, too, it's also about leaders talk, coming together and saying, do we really want to look at these little pieces and moving in that direction, or do we want to come up with a way that's really going to help all of us be part of this path? And that's we've taken this uh, this second route. We want to look at how do we make sure that every community in Minnesota is connected to this, and how does it actually create employment in a in a source to table food web, so that the people who grow the food, who harvest it, who prepare it or preserve it, who are serving it in places where food would be available, in restaurants and uh, neighborhood food hubs or food commons, that all of the people employed in that system are actually honored, respected, given wages um, and benefits because they're going to be critical to a really successful food economy. So it really shifts the way we think about food now, where food is packaged somewhere, it's happening in some other space. Now we're bringing it back home again, and we're actually making it be the thing that communities can unite around, too. 
young people learning about how to grow things. Yeah. How to really observe what's happening in soil when it's being um, regenerated with composting, when you're understanding all of those living systems that help manage your energy. I mean, this is really an energy management plan for Mm -hmm. food. For food. food is the energy that you end up with. And making visible the structures of our society, because and, 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 we all know that uh, we're not culturally well. The mo- I say this almost every show, but the most prescribed drugs for our teenagers is for anxiety and depression. I mean, there's so many oppressive issues. I, I have a book in my hand called The New Human Rights Movement. Reinventing the Economy to End Oppression by Peter Joseph. And I'm going to quote from it just a little bit. The system is certainly rigged. However, it is rigged in ways that are less about direct conspiracy or malicious intent and more about the procedural dynamics of the model itself. From the dawn of agriculture, our economic structure evolved with a root social economic orientation based upon competition exploitation and scarcity the social system that results is is elitist and oppressive ensuring that those with the most wealth and power will maintain the most wealth and power the reason i say that is because that's the way it's set up so we've got to find something better and 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 how we how we do this how how we how we can adjust our systems so that so that um we can design them um and that's your work Right. I think the once we um, define resiliency as something that has to be about everybody being able to buy, benefit and participate, you're really framing things differently. And, you know, communities all over the United States are creating resiliency plans or um, energy management plans to try and figure out how we divest from systems that are unsustainable. And and at the core of that dis- discussion really needs to be how do we really have resilient communities and that means being able to have every person participate and benefit it's nobody this can't be about winners and losers anymore if we're going to address climate change in a truly effective way it has to be about all of us together and that's what this bill is about that's what this economic resiliency program is about um if you look at how indigenous communities operating in really very limited environments manage their economy, it is all about that collective work. It's about having a commons where they share. Um, water is, a, is, a res- is something that they share. Land is something they share. Um, knowledge is something they share. There's local ecological knowledge that's passed down from generation to generation that becomes the foundation for how they manage in those spaces. Now, we can bring to bear for this regenerative food web not only knowledge from those communities, but also other ways that we can really shape things to make sure that our local needs are met too. So it's a case of building on knowledge that's already there and incorporating that long-term research, which, again, has been going on for thousands of years. We have research that we do, but it's not in a holistic manner. It's very different than how indigenous communities have done things. And in addition, they have always respected the rights of nature. That's been key. So... I know that was something that we um, brought up earlier. Yeah, well, the, this this whole idea of rights of nature, and uh, um, this is from um, uh, uh, an ambassador of, from the state of Bolivia to the United Nations in 2011. To speak about Mother Earth's right challenges the entire legal system on which capitalism system is based. This is why we insist on talking about rights. Someone who kills someone else goes to jail. But if you pollute a river, nothing happens to you. We have to be accountable. The issue is to make us accountable in relation to our Earth systems. So this is a big, it's, it's, a, it's a dramatic shift, but it's, it's about entering a living world and honoring the living world and, and respecting it. And recognizing, too, that, that that living world is actually the basis for all of our food security and our water security now and always. I mean, it's it's not something that we can ignore any longer. 
And I think we need to ask questions like, when you're contaminating a river, when you're polluting a stream, is it still a river anymore? I mean, you've literally changed the living system by adding things that, and in the case of the food economy, industrial food chain contaminates our water to create food. There's no logic in that. Um, there, there is no logic, but I like it when Roxanne said um, earlier today that the logic is some people make money, and that's sort of the reason why the system's going the way it is. And, and I think what what you're pointing to and what Roxanne's pointing to is how do we value life instead of our artificial things around money? And there's a lot of really cool people thinking about this, and one of them um, does something called Living Economies. I don't have their website in front of me right now, but I love the first page that they had right on top of their website is, if $22 trillion was able to disappear, did it ever exist in the first place? Because that $22, that was in the in the 2008 so we have all these constructs about money and how money functions that sort of rest on some illusions i think whereas what we want to rest on is the real our reality which is the water the air the soil and each other well i guess i would argue that um, public dollars and public policy together really shape how our economy works and you add to that trade agreements and you have really three components that together shape what we do and how we do it. And that's true for the industrial food chain. And were we to take our public investments and our public policy and combine those to create a system that would actually be sustainable, then that would be a good public investment. I don't think anybody can argue that a public investment in a system that's unsustainable is a good public investment. And I think that's really the question that we need to be asking. And when we do, what we can say is, so what's the alternative? And there is a real alternative. It is creating a system that will allow communities to really be engines for sustainable living. But, again, it's about really shifting our thinking and being able to tackle this problem head-on. And the reason to do that is because climate change is something we can no longer ignore. The truth is, climate has always figured into how people have navigated and lived on the planet. Um, Indigenous communities, again, have shown how they could adapt to climates that are incredibly challenging, and they managed to do it and build knowledge at the same time. So, are we going to do that? That's the question. And and when we invest in the right things, in the right system, I think we can move in the right direction. That's why this bill is about creating an economic development program that actually allows us to move in that direction, that puts all the things in place with the design and the investments so that so that it becomes that anchor for all of our communities. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of what this bill means. Um, you often use the word food web. What do you mean by food web? Well, how we source our food, so from source to table. Um, right now, what we grow on our farms, what we bring in from our wild spaces, whether it's um, you know food that's being uh, harvested, mushrooms being harvested in wild places, um, animals that are being harvested, all of those different sources need to get to the places where people are going to eat, right? So that's your web from source to table. Along the way, you're going to be making determinations about is the food going to be eaten now? Is it going to be preserved? Is it going to be stored? Um, and what kinds of preservation are you going to need to make sure that that food's available when you need it? Um, this this economic program calls for having neighborhood commons or neighborhood food hub where people can gather. They can it can be that place where you get locally sourced food that is either ready to be cooked or it's already been cooked. Um, it can be a place where people learn how to grow things. It can have land around it, perhaps that's used as a research farm. There's lots of options for how. In our communities, we can have a variety of 
components of this food web so that people are always learning, they're always participating, and they're always benefiting. Um, And I think you can look in places where communities have already been trying this. They have, you know, a space where people come and and eat locally sourced food. Uh, Restaurants, they have community kitchens. They have people learning how to cook. All of those skills that we're going to need in order to have a really successful locally adapted system across the state. And if we're invested in it, it means that these will be real jobs. You know, things that your kids can grow up to become part of this regenerative food web economy. Yeah, regenerative food web economy. I mean... It sounds so simple and so desirable, but how do we get there? What do we? What can we do in really practical ways? Um, and so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. In studio is Marita Bougeau, and we're talking about the Community Food and Water and Farm Bill. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show, your source for elder care and caregiver solutions, inviting you to listen to our live call-in show airing on Saturdays from noon to one. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding elder care and caregiver issues to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your best quality of life. Please join us this Saturday from noon to one for the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show and learn more about us at minnesotahospice.com. Minnesota's appliance specialist at Warner Stellion offer more ways to save, including fast free delivery, basic installation from specialists you can trust, free haul-away, and long-term no-interest financing to qualified buyers. Enjoy guaranteed savings through February 25th on top-selling appliances from around the world. Join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners. Choose Warner Stellion to be your appliance specialist. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuchke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our sacred animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. We are awake Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts, 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Hi, Matt McNeil here. It's the 2019 Blue State Ball set for Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdell Mansion in Minneapolis. Coming back to the Twin Cities is Tom Hartman and John Fugelsang. We begin the evening with a VIP event starting at 5 p.m. and at 6.30 the general admission begins. We're expecting a ton of special political guests and look for Doug Padgett, Ellie Krug, Brett Hunter, and myself too. VIP tickets are $100. General admission tickets are $35. Go to am950radio.com for ticket information. Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdell, it's the 2019 Blue State Ball. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headland, and in studio is Marita Bougeau, and we're talking about the community food and water bill. And on break, we're talking about how this ties into the Green New Deal. So let's let's have that conversation. Well, the truth is, every... Every community and every state is going to need to have a plan for food and water. And the Green New Deal focuses primarily at the moment on energy. But food is energy. How are we going to manage our food system so that we actually have what we need every day 
I mean, this is this is something that's so central to our economy. So, um, the Headwaters Community Food and Water Economically Resiliency Program is really about shaping a system that allows us to to be resilient, to have right at the core of our communities in place an economy that will invite young people to become part of this practice of regenerative science in every element of it. So they could be the new regenerative farmers. They can do it in urban settings. We're going to need to open up access across our rural spaces to establish more regenerative farming systems, to give them the tools that they need to be able to be really thriving economies no matter where they're located. As far as the Green Deal New Deal goes, um, this push to really look at the scope and scale of our climate issue is can translates into our food issue as well. So the idea is that we have to be prepared and we have to look at it in such a way that it matches the, the scale of the problem. And you're not saying these are all the solutions we're going to have right now in a nice linear way. What you're saying is we need to open the space for conversations to create um, economic solutions to the economic problem of food and how it's delivered in our current um, extractive way. And how do we create systems that um, can feed people in a way that honors water, soil, and each other? Yes, and in fact, very much this is about trying to create an economy where rural communities and communities that are urban are actually collaborating, conspiring, working together, being neighbors, um, because we're all in this together. So, and and it's, it's trying to promote that. Um, yeah, so one of the things this calls for is learning and leadership training centers for regenerative systems. Right, and, and we do already actually have some places out there in the landscape that are doing this. Um, You have some regenerative farms. You have the Main Street Project out of Northfield that has created a a demonstration farm. People can sign up for that. You know, there's if we could fund these kinds of initiatives, then we can make real progress. And that's this bill would provide resources for that kind of leadership training. The truth is because of the scale and scope of our dilemma, we need to actually be fully invested in moving in the right direction. And so how much money will it take? I'm, I'm not sure that the Green New Deal has figured this out either, but it will take significant investment for us to move in the right direction. And it provides, this bill would provide for people wanting to be part of that food web economy leadership training. We're going to need that. Um, young people especially, but people who want to move into that space, they would get the resources to be able to participate in that. And you think about how much we're subsidizing corn and soybeans and some other of the unhealthy structures and and also making the connection between healthy food and healthy communities and cultural wellness. Um, So the aspiration for a regenerative food web economy is so complex. I mean... It is complex. I think it's ambitious, but I think actually the web design is fairly simple Mm. because it's really about um, placing a priority on how we source food and how we make sure that it efficiently and effectively gets to where it needs to be, whether it's going to be eaten right now, um, preserved for later, stored, um, offered in some other space. And and it also is about making sure that the research that we capture from all that we're doing is documented and can inform how we do things for the future. So it's in a way it's it provides a framework for every community to have this and participate in the web. But it can be adapted to your particular community. So, for instance, you know there's um, movement in. Many of our communities, the sous chef is working on trying to uh, restore a lot of the native food systems. They might take a different approach to implementing this web. They're very much part of 
um, and have the knowledge to be able to do these things. But in their community, it might look a little different than if we implement the web in right. northern Minnesota, you know, on the Iron Range, or in southeastern Minnesota. It depends on their local conditions and the needs of the community. And one of the aspirations um, is to get more fruits and vegetables affordable at all income levels. And this this is something that just gets me so frustrated because we're spending so much money on medical care. Mm-hmm. And fruits and vegetables, these are the things we can grow. <laughs> and let's get the research going. Let's, let's try to how do we get fruits and vegetables to be more affordable than pop, corn syrup, and, uh, and food dyes. Well, and you raise such an important question because we do subsidize things that are not healthy, but we aren't subsidizing fruits and vegetables, and I think lots of people would agree. And this particular bill does include that, a subsidy for fruits and vegetables. So, again, it helps us move in that right direction and provide something that's very needed. I mean, I think a lot of families struggle to afford uh, the cost of healthy food. And that just shouldn't be in the case in any place. It shouldn't be the case. I mean, it is really traumatic for a lot of families. I mean, I can hear people that I know, and it's like, well, I can't afford, you know, my kid loves grapes, but you know how expensive they are? And it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why do we have this? Why do, why, why do we have this system? Well, I think, again, it always goes back to who writes the farm bill, because that really determines our policy and our investment decisions, not just here, but across the globe. It that bill determines what happens with our trade agreements, what we're going to grow, how it's going to be grown, um, how the system is managed, what practices are used, and the, there are legal system in place to make sure that that particular system advances. Right. So, um, tell us again about the bill and who's co-sponsoring it, and um, how people can get involved. So Representative Fu Lee from North Minneapolis was our first sponsor, and Representative Coley Herr from St. Paul is agreed has agreed to sponsor as well. And, of course, we would welcome any other legislative members who would like to help us advance this economic resilience design. Um, people can get involved by going on the justfoodandwater.org website, and hopefully you'll have a link as well to our become a champion page yeah yeah we'll put that out so just food and water just food and water.org yes thank you so much marita bujo for being with us and you've been listening to food freedom thank radio you. thank you have a wonderful weekend thank you